All right, all right. This is day 243. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you uh, that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in the third day of the book of Matthew. And Matthew is going in and he is at pains to show that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven, right? He's bringing the kingdom of heaven. And last time we talked about that the kingdom of heaven does not just come in word, but it also comes with power. It doesn't just come with Jesus speaking these words to people and teaching, although it is about that a lot, right? But it's also about Jesus bringing this thing with powerful deeds as well. And where we find ourselves today in chapter nine is in the middle of those deeds. Now, remember eight and nine give us a cluster of about nine miracles that Jesus is going to do and he is going to show his power, right? He, we will see a, a ton of stuff happen in nine. He, he forgives sins. He heals a paralytic, right? He casts out demons. He heals blind men, all of these things. And in the middle of all of these powerful uh, deeds that he's doing, one of the things that he does in eight and in nine is he calls people to follow him. Right. Like Jesus is calling people to not be fans, as I always say, but to actually be followers. And it's amazing because um, I think that uh, they're interspersed the calls to follow him uh, in, in, in Matthew eight and in Matthew nine, specifically when he calls uh, Matthew, the tax collector. They're interspersed throughout the miracles to show that, no, no, no if you want to experience the power of Jesus, you actually got to follow Jesus. <laughs> like you can't just be on the sidelines and come to him whenever you need him or something goes wrong in your life. Jesus is like, fam, if you actually want to experience my power in your life. You actually have to follow me. And, and the call to follow Jesus is not something we, we start doing and stop doing. It's something we continually do until we uh, uh, enter into the, the, the consummation of the kingdom. And it's interesting, too, in this text, the kinds of miracles he's doing. Um, uh, and it's important, right? Because at the end of the day, the book of Isaiah We'll say this about the messianic age and when the Messiah comes, it says, then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs here in this text. It says the healing of blind men, right? The healing of the lame, right? All of these things are signs that the messianic age has come, that, that they are signposts to the fulfillment of all of God's promises that have come in the personal work of Jesus, right? And it's interesting because, again, Jesus is not just doing this haphazardly, right? This is very, very much strategic. And as he goes uh, at the end of nine, you know, it, it shows that opposition, right? He starts to build up opposition with some of the Jewish leaders who are opposing him. And I think we left we learn from from Jesus here is that uh, while we on while we are while while we are on earth and we're following King Jesus and waiting for the kingdom to come in its fullness, there will be those who are coming against us, right? Very, very much against that kingdom advancing and those who are a part of it. And it gets into that. It's funny because it gets into that in chapter 10. So chapter 10 comes and we have our second block of teaching. So remember, Matthew has these big five blocks, right? Chapter 10 is that second block, right? And so he calls his 12 apostles, right? The 12 apostles. And Jesus calls the 12 and he says here, basically, this is what I want you to do, right? Verse eight, heal the sick, <laughs> raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons, freely you receive, freely 
give. In other words, I want you to do the exact same thing I did. <laughs> right? He commissions, he commissions them and he says their ministry is to be in line and in step with his. Right? I love this because in some ways this is a word for us because all followers and disciples of Jesus are to be imitators of Jesus. We follow him in one way that we follow him is by imitating him. And what God is trying to do is bring his rule and his reign on earth through his son. Yes. And through those whom he has saved by the power of his son's spirit. Right. So in other words, what God has always wanted to do since Genesis chapter one, listen, he doesn't just to, to want to reign over humanity. He wants to reign through humanity. So notice God, Jesus has given them the ability to do the things God has called them to do. In other words, he's saying that like we share in the the, the, the messianic rule. I'm, I'm getting to a little Paul here. We, get, we share in the messianic rule by the power of the Messiah's spirit, right? We reign and rule on earth. And that doesn't mean that we, we are in positions of authority all the time and then we have all the power and people are, are subject to us. But that does mean is that we uh, uh, bring the kingdom of God through our message and through uh, deeds of mercy and love for God and neighbor, right? And so you see that here, he commissions the 12. Now it's interesting, this is usually glossed over. Now, why does he get 12 disciples, right? Why does he get 12 disciples? Well, because corporately they were supposed to spread God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember uh, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, right? Israel, uh, uh, Exodus 19, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, a light to the nations, right? The 12 tribes were initially called to be a light to the nations. In other words, God blessed them and saved them so that they could be the vehicle through which he used to bless the entire world. Obviously they failed, right? We know they failed. We read the whole Testament for almost 10 months. They failed. And so what Jesus is doing here, he is bringing the restoration of Israel through his 12 disciples that correspond to the 12 tribes. You feel me? Right. Because the prophets prophesied, no, no, Israel is going to be restored. They prophesied it clearly. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Right. And, and, and Jesus is saying here through these 12, I'm going to do what God has always intended to do. God don't abandon plan A. Right. He don't, he don't, he don't, he don't go to plan B. It only distracts from plan A. And so Jesus does. He gets the 12 and he sends them out. And notice what he says. He says, don't go to the Gentiles. <laughs> he says, don't go to the Gentiles. He says, no, no, like this is for the lost tribes of Israel. So in other words, again, Israel needs to be restored, right? Israel has to be restored first and then they can go to the Gentiles, right? Right. At the end of Matthew 28, he'll say, uh, I'll go to make disciples of all nations. And so he tells them, no, no, go to Israel. But he says, he says, no, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. So I want to prepare you. Remember, I said ops is going to come, fam. When you own that kingdom mission, ops are going to come. So he says, yo, you're going to be persecuted. And then you'll be able to speak before the Gentiles. <laughs> it's so crazy. He says, you'll be able to speak before the Gentiles in light of your persecution. And I think what he's trying to say is, listen, he says, listen, fam, if you follow me, no, no, expect to have a cross shaped life. Right. Expect to have a cross shaped life. Don't let suffering and persecution blindside you. Right. The blind side hits hurt the worst. He's saying, no, no, no. Like, don't let it blindside you, fam. Right. Whatever it may be, whether it, it, it's, it's being ostracized, whether it's ridicule and slander, whether it means you don't get the promotion, whatever it may be. Persecution and suffering is coming. Right. But it leads to the glorious kingdom. And I love it at the end because he even talks about the family, fam. He's like, no, no, like 
even even amongst family business, it could be a problem. You feel what I'm saying? Like following me is that serious. It reorients your entire life in such a way that you relate to everything in the entire world differently because you prioritize me first. And so he says, no, like I came to turn like a uh, man against father, daughter against mother. He says, anyone who loves father or mother more than me, anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What he's saying is this. He's not saying that, that we should be anti-family. Absolutely not. He's just saying that in comparison to the allegiance, authority, and love you have for me, it is so far off uh, the love you have for anybody else, right? Jesus wants our ultimate allegiance over um, anyone else in the entire world. 11 comes. Um, and, and, and again, yeah, Jesus is just saying, like, at the end of the day, Christianity, a Christianity doesn't cost you something. It's not Christianity, right? That's not a following of Christ. Now we don't go hunt persecution. I have to be clear. We don't go hunting for persecution. We don't go hunting for beef with our peoples. We don't. We don't do all of that. But what Christ is saying again is that this allegiance should trump and triumph over all other allegiances and loves. All right. So Matthew eleven, <laughs> Matthew eleven comes and it says, uh, when Jesus had finished uh, giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he moved from there to teach and preach in their town. So it ends a big block of of teaching, and we see in this narrative though John the Baptist. Right. John the Baptist gets locked up. He is hemmed up right and remember earlier he had declared that he would baptize uh jesus right but jesus would baptize with the holy spirit and with fire and what many have pointed out is that no no he's probably astonished that this hasn't happened yet right he's like yo like like fam i i was the one like i, I had to received a prophecy from the lord right like this hasn't come to pass yet. So he's like, yo, are you really the one to come? I'm starting to doubt. Or should I be waiting on somebody else? <laughs> right? Like, or should I be waiting on somebody else? And notice what Jesus says to him. He says, no, go tell John, fam. Like, let him know what was really good. He says, no, no, the blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, poor told the good news, and blesses the one who isn't offended by me. And so what he gives him is the list, right? The signs of the messianic age from Isaiah chapter 35, right? He gives him all the stuff. And so, like, no, no, John will understand, right, that these were signs that the Messianic age, the end times has come. And so Jesus tells him about that. But it's interesting because, again, John is locked up. He's hemmed up. He's persecuted for his faith. Now, remember, Jesus just told the disciples that it's going to be a problem because you're preaching that kingdom talk. Right. And you see, John is like real life illustration of that. And then as you move forward, he talks about this generation. He says, no, no John is one of the greatest among men. Right. Like, no, no, those born of a woman, John is one of the greatest. And he, and he talks about the generation and how uh evil the generation is and he talks about um you know like like john is a, t is a testimony to his faithfulness in light of his suffering but these people aren't suffering and they don't see uh, uh the the way that jesus is actually bringing the kingdom and i think we need to remember that faithfulness in the kingdom does not mean fondness right it doesn't it doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you it doesn't mean that everything is going to go your way sometimes it actually leads to friction right um, and he juxtaposes, that's what I was trying to get at. He juxtaposes uh, John the Baptist who hasn't seen the miracles, right? And the crowds and the people who have. So he's like, yo, like John the Baptist didn't see all this and he repented, <laughs> but you guys have, right? You have, you've seen all the works and you still haven't repented, right? And I think we have to remember that, um, 
seeing isn't always believing. And what I mean by that is just because we've seen God do good things, right? Doesn't necessarily, just because people see God do good things doesn't mean they'll actually believe them, right? There has to be something internally that the Holy Spirit has to do to change their hearts and their disposition towards Jesus and the kingdom. Last chapter, Matthew 12, um, Jesus is, is facing more opposition with the Pharisees, particularly about uh, the Sabbath here in this text. And they debate him about the Sabbath. And Matthew sets it up really well because it comes on the heels of Jesus saying that he is the one who truly gives rest. And so it works really well. And once again, more than any other gospel, we see the, the, the rhetorical wit of Matthew. Right. And one of the things we have to note, and I have to say this um, about the Pharisees, right. Um, is that we tend to caricature the Pharisees, right? And um, if, if, if someone were to ask you, like, who, what is a Pharisee in the Bible or what is a Pharisee in general? Many of us would say something like a legalist, right? Someone who felt like you had to be very, very, very strict on the law to earn your salvation or something of that nature or earn entry into the kingdom. And that is actually false, right? What we've learned uh, over the past uh, a few years and, and, and through primary texts and through uh, uh, so much more research that is being done on the Pharisees is that they were this Drew, Jewish uh, uh, sect and group who wanted to see the restoration of Israel. And in fact, out of all the Jewish groups of Jesus's day, they were the most, they were closest to Jesus theologically, right? Than the Sadducees, than the Essenes, than the Zealots, than, than all the other groups. And, 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 and many Pharisees actually came to believe in Jesus, right? So you think about Paul, Paul says, no, no, in Acts chapter 23, he says, I'm still a Pharisee, <laughs> Hebrews three. He says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He, uh, uh, you think about Nicodemus, a Pharisee, Gamaliel, Acts chapter five, who says, no, 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 like, like, let them do what they do. He was a Pharisee talking about Christians, let them do what they do. And so, um, we, we can't caricature the Pharisees. They were trying to see the restoration of Israel, the kingdom of God come all those things. And what you see them debating with Jesus mostly about is the temple and about purity laws, right? Purity laws and the temple. And it's interesting. And sorry, this is this is such a side note, but it's interesting because um, in those in those days, in the first century and leading up to the time of Jesus, all of these uh, different Jewish groups and sects were debating about the same thing, fam. They were all debating about purity laws. It was so huge in the priesthood and the Pharisees. If I can, if I can just keep going on them for a second, the Pharisees specifically. Um, the irony is that many caricatures ha have seen them as uh, legalists, right? But the irony is, is that they uh, were actually more lenient than Jesus, right? They they actually were kind of lenient on the law in the sense they, they believed in the law should be kept, but they were lenient in that they uh, had a, a kind of a penchant for human weakness, right? And that, and that they believed that the law could be updated and interpreted and so therefore they added traditions around the law so that it could be kept and the irony is is they actually weren't keeping it and so um what jesus will say in matthew chapter 5 is like no no like unless your righteousness surpasses that of the pharisees you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven he actually means that he actually means real righteousness and obedience right because the pharisees actually weren't keeping the law uh, in the way that Jesus believed it should be kept. And so you see Jesus actually more strict. <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> Jesus is actually more strict on the law here. And so you see them debating about the fulfillment of Torah. Now, they're not debating that Torah is authoritative, just how it should be applied and lived out and um, interpreted. And so, um, yeah, so that I digress on Pharisees. Don't caricature the fair 
receives. Now, let's to be to be to be clear, the Pharisees do oppose Jesus. Let's let's be clear about that. Let's not valorize them at the same time. But they were one amongst many Jewish groups who were debating about these things heavily in Jesus's day. And so we just add a little texture and humanist to him. But you see Jesus here talking about the Sabbath, going back to the Sabbath. He's like, no, no, like cats ain't breaking the Sabbath. Like you, you really got to read the scriptures, right? You ain't, you ain't really reading the scriptures, right? Um, you, 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 they're not breaking the Sabbath, right? Because I am one Lord of the Sabbath and that, uh, uh God understands, uh, that the, what the Sabbath or, or God through me is bringing about his kingdom. And I am the one who shows you what the Sabbath is really about. It's really about restoration. It's really about, uh, the, 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 the healing nature that comes from a rest in God and in God's Messiah. And so Jesus is bringing about his kingdom. And I love what he does because he says, um, the kingdom is coming. He's talking to these scribes and these Pharisees. He's driving out demons, all this kind of stuff. But he says, um, the son of man, he says, he says, the son of man uh, will be in the belly to fish three days and three nights like Jonah, the son of Jonah. But he also says someone greater than, so he says someone's greater than Jonah is here. And then someone greater than Solomon is here. What is he doing that? Why is he saying that? Because he says, no, no, no. At, when, when Jonah preached, the Ninevites repented. They're Gentiles. When, when Solomon had his kingdom, the queen of Sheba came miles and miles to hear Solomon's wisdom. And yet someone greater than Solomon is here. I wish I had time to talk about what Jesus is saying is that those who were on the outside, those who were the least likely were those that were responding to the message of God's kingdom. And he's saying right now, you Jewish folks are not responding to the message of God's kingdom when someone less than me, right? When someone less than me in the past uh, um, was, was preaching God's kingdom, they, people were responding and you guys aren't right now. And I think the text wants us to know this. Jesus brings about his kingdom through his death and resurrection, right? And it is often the least likely, those we don't expect that God uses and raises up and who ultimately recognize Christ for who he is. Don't be surprised today in your sharing of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, who actually responds. Let's pray. God, we ask uh, for uh, your mercy, God. I pray that we would respond ourselves, Father, and I pray that we would uh, uh, preach the gospel to all creation, Father, and that we would uh, make you known uh, to the world, Lord. And uh, God, I pray that we wouldn't be surprised, and I pray that we wouldn't uh, doubt and underestimate who exactly you could use touch uh, by your spirit to bring about uh, your kingdom in their hearts.